Good morning. Thank you, Julian Debbie. I love that song. I'm glad that he watches me. He's watched me for almost 60 years, and I wouldn't have been able to live a day without him. I'm grateful for that. This morning, we're continuing uh, the letter to the Ephesians. We've been going through it for several months, and the scriptures that Tyler read to us this morning are probably some of the most difficult scriptures to read in most of the culture if we were to go out um, at um, the outlet mall and stand on a flatbed truck and read those scriptures to them, they would look at you like you had seven heads. Because these verses go completely against what our culture stands for today. Just really like they went against the culture in Rome and Greece in the first century. I titled the sermon today, I think, Walking Upward or Upward Uphill Walking because anybody that accepts the verses as God's word, as truth today, they're going to be at odds with the culture, and we're going to be. Um, in these verses, Paul addresses the subject of sexual morality. Judging from the New Testament as we study it, illicit sex was an enormous problem for the new believers. They had grown up in a sex-obsessed culture where adultery, men sleeping with their slaves, incest, temple prostitution, it all was the norm of the time. There were few, if any, sexual taboos, especially if you were a man. But now that they are Christians, they, the new believers are learning that God has a completely different set of plans for living. It's a different way. Because let's face it, when we're born, uh, I was born in Dayton, Ohio. I was born with a skill that I didn't even know that I had. It was sin. I was, you didn't have to train me to sin. When I went to elementary school, there wasn't a course that teaches me how to sin because it was in my nature. I knew how to do it. We're born with that sinful nature. But this, you know, the sex portion that we talk about in the scripture today, it's hard to understand, especially for some of us that uh, were here in the 50s or 60s. There's 50 years ago, sex was perceived completely different than it is now. There was a sexual revolution that gained momentum back in the 70s, the 80s, and unraveled to where we're at today, which includes pornography, casual sex with multiple partners, living together without being married is considered the norm. Um, and any adult that is still a virgin is considered abnormal. Now, these are not pleasant things to talk about today, but we're going to talk about God's Word because I think this is a powerful message that affects everyone. It's an area of our sexuality where Christians today seem to have the most time, difficult time moving from their formal lifestyle to, to the life of the believers. And I'm this is going to be a difficult text, as I say, to go through, but I hope you'll stick with me because I think it's one that we'll find it's essential for each of us. Um, I'm going to read uh, from Ephesians 5, the first two verses that uh, Jake preached on last week, and I'm going to read these uh, to precede our study this morning. In Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, and I'm reading from the, King, or the NIV version, it says, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Before we go any further, I just want to bow our heads this morning. Let's just have a word of prayer. 
Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for your word that is powerful. It's the truth. I'm, I'm thankful that you watch us, Lord, that you uh, invite us to follow you, Lord. And uh, you sent your son to die for us to, to, that we could be forgiven of the sin that we could never um, pay the price for. So this morning, open our ears and hearts. Lord, may I say what's uh, on that you want me to say, Father, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. If you, if you um, underline things in your Bible today in verses 1 and 2, now you're going to find that some of your versions, rather than saying follow, it may say imitate, which Jake talked to us about imitation. He talked about the kids, they'll imitate what we do, whether it's good or it's bad. Um, but follow uh, is in the King James Version, which in my opinion, I think you have to, to imitate someone, you have to follow them. So that's what we're going to go with that. Um, we all follow something or someone. We do, whether we know it or not. Um, I, I remember the story of my dad telling about my mom. Now, some of you may know my folks were grew up in the mountains, and, and uh, my mom learned to drive a 1947 Plymouth that had a clutch on it. She wasn't a good driver, even to the day she died. She wasn't a good driver. But she would drive that Plymouth all over those mountains. And he told me about the time that she was trying to come home from the store, and it was foggy and rainy, and she just couldn't see what she was doing, but she knew if she followed the car in front of her, she would be okay winding up those mountains. She followed that car all the way to that car went home. She followed him all the way up to his driveway up in the mountains, and the guy got out of the car and couldn't figure out why she was following. She had her eyes on him, and she saw the light. She was going to follow the light, so we kidded her about that for years to come. To walk. Walk is the other word that I'd encourage you to underline. The walk, as we know it, is to con conduct one's life in a certain way. The walk of Christ, we're going to reflect the attributes of God when we abide in him. And when I say when we abide, what does that mean? That means staying in his word, being in fellowship with uh, other believers, and speaking to them every day, praying. So there are times when this Christian walk feels like an uphill walk. And I don't like walking uphill. I don't know about you. I, when I was a young fella, we had a house that had a, a basement, and I could shoot up those stairs in a New York minute. Today, if I were to have to walk those stairs, you would have to bring a lunch with you before I could get up it. So it, it would be a lot slower. Uphill walk. Um, many of you know that my leg was amputated about five, six years ago. Um, I went to see a doctor. His name was Ren Critchlow. And Brother Tim met him. He took me on several of my visits, and I appreciate and love Brother Tim for that. Ren Critchlow was an interesting character. He was a Harvard graduate and was a member of the Canadian Olympic canoe team and participated in the Seoul 1988 Olympics, the Barcelona 1992, and the Atlanta 1996 Olympic game, Games. And in 1991, Dr. Critchlow was the world champion in kayak singles. He holds multiple other world championships and World Cup medals. That impresses me. That's quite, I mean, this is the guy that took my leg off. You know, I'm honored to have such a fella do that. But um, I remember the visit, post-surgery visit that we were setting in front of him, and he said, David, I'm going to tell you something about you've lost your leg. We're trying to get you ready for your prosthetic. Um, he says, 
don't watch TV and social media to get an idea of what a prosthetic, your new life of the prosthetics going to be like. He says, because every step you take with your prosthetic, you're going to feel as though you're walking uphill. And he was absolutely right. Every step feels like an uphill walk. He says, if you're born without the limb, it's really you adapt automatically. But I was a 50-something-year-old man that had to adapt to my new state of life without a leg. It was a new uphill battle for me. Every step was a, was, is a challenge for me. Today we're going to briefly touch on three aspects of the uphill walk that we're reading in Scripture. The uphill walk to rise above the things that Scripture uh, is telling us today. Um, the first walk that we see in verse 2 is a walk in love, which a walk in love is living a life that's mirrored by Jesus. I can meet people and tell if, they've, if they're a follower of Jesus. It's just something about them. They have a different look, a different way about them. Um, and walking in love um, is, is something that, when well, I talked about the abiding, I have to abide in God's word and in prayer to have that love continually um, being put into me. But um, how many people in our lives, this is a hard question, and I ask myself this, how many people in our lives outside of these four walls know that we're followers of Jesus? I pause there because that's, that's really a, a, vital, a vital question we have to answer. You've heard of the duck test. Um, it goes like this. If it looks like a duck, swims like a duck, and quacks like a duck, then it's probably a duck. The test implies that a person can identify an unknown subject by observing that subject's habitual characteristics. Okay? So if your life looks like a Jesus follower, walks like a Jesus follower, and sounds like a Jesus follower, then you're probably a follower of Jesus. Christ provides the model on how Christians are to live in love. His sacrificial death is the definition of love. Christ loved us and gave his life for us. There's like a story of a soldier who was wounded so badly he had to get an amputation out uh, in the field. The surgeon after the surgery said to him, I'm sorry to tell you that you lost your arm. And he said, sir, I did not lose it. I gave it for my country. Christ did not lose his life, friends. He gave his life for you and me. Be aware, where there's love, there's going to be a sacrifice. You're going to have to give something that's going to hurt. It's not always easy. There's always a cost. The second aspect of the uphill walk is to walk in purity. This is where, this is where, it, the, the, this is where it gets rough. It says, avoiding shameful sins that have no place in the life of a believer. Uh, verse 3 says, but among you there must not even be a hint that means just a smidgen, hint, a little tiny, not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse jesting, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Here, Paul warns us things not to do. These are the things you're to avoid. Things are out of the character for people whom Christ died for. 
You know, I thought about it. My mind reels in different directions. You all know most of me know me by now. But it'd be like Nutrisystem. If we saw Marie Osmond uh, with a, a box of uh, donuts, uh, Krispy Kremes, would we be apt to believe that, um, that Nutrisystem would work? I don't think so. If I'm representing, if I'm an ambassador for Christ and I'm living like the devil, do you think folks are going to want to be a part of what Christ is about and accept him? These verses tell us what we have to leave behind us. The word immorality in verse 3 meant, in Paul's day, any sexual behavior outside of a monogamous marriage relationship. Impurity means uncleanliness or filthiness and greed or covetousness, which is that his never-ending desire for something more. Do you know anyone like that that's always wanting something more? They get what they want, but they always have a hint that they need something more. And I think in these scriptures, he might even be referring to sexual greed. Um, not being content with your own mate, but wanting someone else's. Paul says that immorality, impurity, and greed aren't to be named among the saints. Period. He doesn't mean that the behaviors aren't to be discussed by Christians. He means that anyone who observes believers, they are not to be able to identify these things within the followers of Christ. Verse 4 is a list of inappropriate ways we communicate. This thing on the front, page, the front of my face is called a pie hole. There's a lot of things that can go wrong with this. Going in, pie is good, but some of the things that come out, Paul knew it, the Holy Spirit knew it, we have to be careful of it. When we're following Jesus, we got to be careful and think about what's coming out. Christians can ruin their example by the kind of speech. That's what Paul meant when he describes these behaviors. The silly talk, the dirty talk. Matter of fact, the word Paul uses when we get our English word, that's where we get moron from. It means stupid talk, low obscenity, um, the language of the gutter. Um, it's the things that your mama would wash your mouth out with soap. You know, um, it, it just bothers me because I know I've been guilty, and I'm not preaching to you that I'm exempt from any of these because my mouth, um, I have to, if I don't abide in Christ, my speech even can become different. I become different because I'm leaning back into that sinful nature that no one had to teach me. It's natural. God's spirit in me revives me and helps me to be more like him. According to the New Testament, the way we live is into response to what we believe about God. If I'm thankful, it's because I believe that God is good, he's trustworthy, and he's taking care of me no matter what's happening. No matter what's happening. And I'm going to be quite frank with you this morning. There's some aspects of my life right now that aren't so good. And I have to trust him. Because if I didn't, I, would, I told Tom Miller, I'd get in my car and drive as far as that gas tank would take me. And not look back. He's eyes on the sparrow. He's watching me. So I am thankful. And if my attitude's towards God, I won't be doing the things in the verses we're talking about. If I have a thankful heart... Um, Thanksgiving reminds us that we're, that we're not, that everything we lack in ourselves is available to us in Christ. Verse 3 and 4 is a picture of what walking uphill looks like. Walking the steps of our Savior instead of walking with the steps of the world. It's tough, guys, I'm telling you. This is tough. This isn't uh, easy stuff, for we all struggle with that sinful nature. I'm sorry. 
Paul, though, in verses 5 through 10, explains why we need to continue walking upward. It says in 5, For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. This week, I really wrestled with that verse. I've looked at so many commentaries on that verse to fully understand it. And let me just tell you, it's black and white. If you're a follower of Jesus, I started telling you, you have a sinful nature. It never goes away until we meet Christ face to face. Every Christian's tempted, every Christian sins, Christians covet, they can fall. And that's why I love the illustration of David in the Old Testament who fell. And this was a man after God's own heart. That's not what I believe Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the immoral man, the man that's life is characterized by sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and covetousness. He's not talking about the saint whose identity is in Christ, and who stumbles. Obviously, there is forgiveness to all one who fails, and I'm grateful for that. But I believe he's speaking about anyone who does this habitually without, an, uh, without a repentant heart. There comes a time where your, your mind gets seared, and you just you have no conscience. And I believe that's what Paul was talking about. He's talking about the person who is known by the sin, and even though that person may may call himself a Christian, it's unlikely that he is saved at all. Our behavior can't save us. It won't. We're saved by Christ's work, not on our own, but our behavior does show what we believe and who we're following. Again, there's a really, this, this is, if you hear anything at all, there's a sobering excerpt that I'm going to read you from an online site. It's Precept Austin. It's an interdenominational Christian evangelical organization. Um, but I'm going to I read word by word this thought, and I want you to listen to it. It says, and dear reader, you and I, too, need to be absolutely sure, do not be deceived, if there has never been a significant behavioral change in your life, which is a desire for holiness, for the things of God, for his word, not perfection, but at least a change in the general direction of your life and lifestyle, then if there is not holy yearning, listen, there is reason to seriously consider whether you have truly been re regenerated by the Holy Spirit whether you have truly been born again, whether you are indeed a new creation in Christ. To me, that's sobering. But I want to say those words because I want us all to be aware of the walk that we have, who we're following, and what the truth is. It's imperative. The Apostle John makes the same point in 1 John 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, no one is born of God no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Verse 10 says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right 
is not God's child, nor is anyone does not love their brother and sister. Notice that John doesn't say that no one who is born of God will commit sin. That's not what's said. He says that no one who is born of God practices sin. There's a difference there. To practice sin means to a sin is a way of life. It's habit. It's automatic. It's the, the nature that we were born with. But John says that anyone who has been born of God, born again, will be unable to sin because of God's sin seed inside of them. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is the best barometer. If I'm getting ready to do something that is on that margin, it could go either way. It could be dark or light. The Holy Spirit's buzzer goes off inside of me and gives me a warning. It's like I was talking about my mom driving. She was a speeder, and my dad had a governor, what they called a governor on there. When it went over 60, it would pipe, make a big old loud noise. And any time we went with mom, it was always making that loud noise. She just disregarded it. But that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Um, we're a new creation when we accept Christ. If you accepted Christ, you are new. You've got a new robe of righteousness. But your behavior when you're connected to Christ, is going to change too. And these things that we're talking about are going to be behind you, behind you. This brings us to our third and final aspect of the upward walk. Verse 8 reads in Ephesians 5, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as Christ of light, for the fruit of the light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Verse 14, this is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Sometimes, and I don't know about you, uh, at our house, we don't have a lot of lights going much. Sometimes I think we like it, you know, the ambiance of having it a little bit darker. Some people like that. Some people like having a candlelight dinner in a darkened room, you know, gives that special ambiance, you know. Going to see a movie, you don't want the lights on, you want the lights off so you can see the movie screen pretty well. Some people, and I'm probably one of them, I can't sleep real well if it's light in the room. I like to have it darkness. They have. I wouldn't make it in Alaska where the, the, the days are so many hours long. It would be hard. On a dark night some years ago, the lights went out in, one of the, in a major American city. There was a huge power failure, which we hear of these. The whole city was shrouded in darkness, and it didn't only last a day, but it lasted a couple of days. By the second night, still no power and lights. The people started looting started looting, breaking into businesses, taking things, whatever they wanted, smashing shop windows, walking away with TVs, toasters, stereo systems, whatever they could get their hands on. We've seen videos of those on the, on the news. We know what that looks like. In the dark, businesses were practically destroyed not only by hardened criminals, this is what bothers me, but by neighbors, too, that lived in the surrounding area, by ordinary people who lived up the road, by normal, these were people that normally abided by the law. In the dark, greed took over. How sad. Whatever 
is your personal temptation. That is your darkness. Whether it be hatred, greed, whatever, and the list could go on and on. All the things that Satan, the prince of darkness, brings into our lives that have a bow on it and glitter to it, but when you open the package, it destroys. It can destroy you, your family, everyone. Startling enough, darkness itself can become so thick that we can't see what mess is around us. So that's why I need you. I need the believers to be watching me interfacing with me, keeping me in God's word, encouraging me. And when you see me stumble, hey, David, come on. You know, God's word says this. I may act like I don't want to hear you, but you're doing what you're supposed to do, and the Holy Spirit's going to do in here what it needs to do. Sometimes people prefer the darkness because in the light they see way too much. They continue in their old ways because they don't like having a light shine on them and show that their relationship with God is in a horrible state. It's hard to walk in the light. I'm not going to tell you. When you accept Christ, you know, people don't say, oh, you're going to enjoy this walk. Let me tell you, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. But to abide in him and to follow him, even to sit here, this past week, Jake and I can testify to both of you, it was a rough week. Because when God knows I'm in his word and I'm getting ready to, uh, when Satan sees that, he, he puts it on. He, he can pour it on thick. 1 John 5 through 10 this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim... To be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, verse 9, if we confess our sins, let me say it again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all righteousness. All the list that we talked about, we would be purified of it. It's taken away. It goes into the sea of forgetfulness. I'm thankful for that light. I wouldn't be sitting here if it were not for that light. That light produces good fruit that we see in verse 9, which is goodness, righteousness, and truth. It's something you can't get online. It's something you can't buy. It's something you can't manufacture. It comes from the light. Light exposes motives. It gives you the discernment to know right from wrong. I talked about the governor. When you hit over 60, the light, it gives us the gift of discernment to know right and wrong, to be able to tell if this is something we should get involved with or not get involved with. Light exposes evil. There's an Old Testament text from Isaiah that reminds us that a new light has come from the Lord. Isaiah is talking about people from all nations being drawn from the darkness to the light. It's in Isaiah 60, 20. And the prophet says, Your son, son, S-U-N, shall no more go down, neither shall your moon withdraw itself. For Yahweh, who is God, will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall end. 
It is shining on all people, friends. This new light chases away the shadows and the darkness. The closer this light comes to them, the more they will see the darkness in their lives and the more they will feel its warmth and comfort. Have you ever opened a curtain of a dark room and opened it to the sunlight and see all the, the dust and particles? The light exposes those things. And we need to allow that light to shine into us to see what all those particles are. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. That's John 8, 12. The prophecies of the Old Testament have been fulfilled. The light is here. It's not coming. It is here. And what an impact Christ's light has had on darkness in all of our lives. This light that I said exposes dark private corners of our lives that we prefer to keep hidden, though. Everything is not as neat and tidy as you know, we thought when the light comes in there. There's a mess that needs to be cleaned up. And even though we've tried to hide the mess in the darkness and, mo- and those private corners of our lives, the light of Jesus has shown us that there is dirt piled up that needs to be cleaned. Our temptations, our secret sins, those faults that we prefer not to admit, the selfish attitude that we nurture, the times we prefer to look the other way when instead of offering a helping hand. The light Jesus has come to the world not to bring condemnation to you. He's not to rub our noses in the dirt of our dark corners, but to sweep them up and to bring healing and reconciliation. This light this morning is freely yours. Jesus is the real light. He's the only light, the genuine light who can change things. He's our forgiveness. He's our hope. He's our encouragement. He's our word. He's in one, uh, a word of love. Jesus is love. He's strength. He's what you need to lighten your personal darkness. He's a light to every person who's in need of superhuman strength to see through the darkness of trouble and sickness. He's the light that dispels darkness of guilt. Whenever there's darkness in our family, in our friendships, in our community, Christ has come to shed a light on all those areas to restore us. Wherever there's darkness in our nation or in our world, we see a lot of that. Christ has commanded us, you and I, the church, to let the light shine through us. We are to let the light of Christ shine through us so that the darkness of despair and hopelessness might not be dispelled. It's clear over this past year we've been in a lot of darkness because of COVID. We've been powerless to change the outcome of it. Um, Darkness has filled the lives of many because of this virus. And in the midst of this, Jesus says, St. Louis Crossing, you are the light of the whole world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do you hide a lamp and put it under a measuring basket, but on a stand. St. Louis Crossing, we're to be on a stand. We're to shine to all the surrounding counties, to all the communities. We're to display the hope of Christ in hopes that they will come in and hear the message and accept Christ this day. During uh, the outbreak of the flu in 1918, It had claimed many lives, and it had a lot of similarities to COVID. All the public gathering places had been closed, all the businesses, even the churches closed. And the preacher in that town got really burdened about it, as we did too, as all of us were burdened by this. And he got a thought that 
They had magnificent stained glass windows in their church. He would look at them, and each one told a story. Those windows faced a main street, and many people passed that church every day. Okay, we think they're just windows. But the pastor had numerous floodlights that he put inside the church, so at night those lights would shine through the stained glass windows. They were for all to see the timeless portrayals of Jesus. One window showed Jesus, the good shepherd, carrying a lamb. Jesus, the searching Savior, rescuing, rescuing the long-lost sheep, one long-lost sheep. Jesus praying at Gethsemane. Jesus on the cross, and then Jesus risen from the dead. These windows were silent sermons during the time of darkness, just as Christ has called us to be. People who passed by the church, they, they would stop even reverently and look, and they would feel encouragement. They could sense that there was something different. Those windows were speaking to them. They were encouraging them, and I believe the Holy Spirit was drawing them through that. In the darkness that filled their lives, the light streaming from those windows, the words of Isaiah took on a new meaning. As with those stained glass windows this morning, may our lives testify to who we're following. And I pray this morning it's the light of Christ. And this morning, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I have really good news. He, his eye is on you this morning. And all you have to do, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just. He'll forgive us and we become his today, this moment. This is an uphill journey, and I need you. I need, I need Christ. I need to abide in him. But let me tell you something and be perfectly clear with it. This uphill journey will be worth it all when we see Jesus Christ face to face. Let us bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for your word, and I pray this morning that... Um, that uh, you will speak to us, you will spur us on, Father, that uh, we'll be drawn to the light even more this morning, Lord. Um, if there's anyone that does not know you this morning, um, Lord, today is the day of salvation. I thank you for the freedom that we have. I thank you for the people that have uh, been reflected your light in my life, Father, through the 60 years, Lord. And may we, as a congregation, may we go out and be reflections of you as well, Lord. Heal our hearts, heal our land, Father. May our country bow down to you and to put you on the throne where you have been all along. And may we just um, humble ourselves before you and confess your name publicly, for you are Lord. And we thank you, uh, Almighty Light. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.